0: Hear now the word of our Lord. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abigadab, and Mokishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. "'Where have you come from?' David asked him. He answered, "'I have escaped the Israelite camp.' "'What has happened?' David asked, "'Tell me.' "'The men fled from the battle,' he replied. "'Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead.'" Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jashar, A gazelle lies slaying on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistine be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields, for there the shield of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slaying on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother, for you were dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. How the weapons of war. Have perished. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning, like the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Crystal says that I won't talk to her about anything serious. Um, but the truth is she just doesn't like any of my suggestions. <laughs> See, lately she has been trying to uh, talk to me about end-of-life stuff. You know, um, headstones, uh, uh, wills, uh, funerals. And, uh, and she says I won't talk to her about it, but she really she just doesn't like my suggestion. So the first thing I told her about my funeral is that um, I feel caskets are... A racket uh, that they cost way too much money, and I don't want to leave uh, my family in debt just to give me a good send-off. And so, what I have asked for is for a Viking funeral. Um, uh, those of you that maybe have seen Vikings on TV, you know that uh, that when when when, a, when when a Viking dies, uh, they send him out to sea on a longboat, and uh, and then someone shoots that flaming arrow and sets the boat on fire uh, there in the middle of the sea. Um, now I'm asking for a very simple version of this. It can be a lake, right? And I just want my body to be put in an old canoe, uh, and for the canoe to be filled up with fireworks and, um, somewhere in the distance, uh, the Lord of the Rings soundtrack will be playing and, um, and, uh, and my children will get to take turns, uh, with the bow and arrow trying to, uh, trying to set the canoe on fire. And whoever does it first gets my stuff. (laughs) That's all I want. That's all I want. To tell the truth, um, Crystal's right. Talking about death does make me uncomfortable. Um, I don't like thinking about my own death, and so I'd uh, I'd rather joke about it than talk about it seriously. And I don't think anyone came to church this morning hoping to talk about death and grieving. That's what the passage is about, and here we are. Most of us just try to put it out of our mind and not think about it and not worry about it, but there come times in life when we just can't do that anymore. When the circumstances of life bring the reality of death front and center. For Crystal and I, that moment came um, about a decade ago. Uh, we were living in North Carolina at the time, and, uh, and, and William was just a baby. He had just been born. And, um, and we had uh, become fast friends with uh, some other couples in the church that were our age and uh, had children our age. And we especially came, uh, became friends with a couple named um, Carrie and Will. Here is a picture of Crystal and Carrie. Um, uh, Will and I were friends because we uh, we, we had similar interests. Uh, we uh, we were both uh, really um, like to talk about theology and have, have deep spiritual conversations, and so we, we kind of bonded over that. Um, Crystal and Carrie uh, came from very uh, similar backgrounds, they have very similar family dynamics. And they they bonded over that. Um, one of the things we all liked to do when we got together uh, was uh, was play cards. We'd play face ten or, or or rook or something like that, and, and 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 eat pretzels and and drink soft drinks and and just ha- and and just have fun. I remember one night we we had got all the kids settled, and uh, and we were um, we were playing phase ten, and I had just took. At just taking a big old gulp of Coca-Cola. And remember, the reason I remember this is because um, Carrie said something that I cannot repeat at church. It was very off color. Um, but it was hilarious. And it made me spit my Coke everywhere and it came out of my nose. And I just remember her tilting her head back and laughing at the sight of that. And that was the last time I saw her alive. A couple of days later, um, uh, she passed away of cardiac arrest very suddenly. Um, She had been having some issues with her health and and her doctors were working on her with different medication, but it was nothing that anyone was seriously scared about. It was all very sudden. And to a bunch of 20 year olds um, who had never been through something like this before, it was all very shocking. I remember as soon as we heard, we drove to the hospital. And when we got to the hospital, um, uh, Will was was coming out of uh, of one of the doors and he had his arms full of Carrie's stuff. And I just remember the numb, shell-shocked look he had on his face. And I remember just how red his eyes were from all the crying that he had already done. And he looked at me and and he just said in a really soft voice, Danny, will you please come home with me? I don't want to be alone tonight. I said, "Of course, of course." Their uh, young daughter was uh, Catherine was about the same age as uh, as Savannah, and uh, Catherine went home with the grandparents from school at night, and uh, and we went to Will's house, and there's all kinds of company, people, you know, coming in and out. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I just heard bringing uh meals and desserts and but after a little while everyone cleared out you know was just me and Will and I was nervous at first you know I didn't quite know what to say or how to talk I was really worried I was going to say something stupid you know um something he didn't want to hear and uh but the, uh, the 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 tension dissolved really quickly. Will was the first one to bring up his faith. He said, "You know, what I really hope during all of this. I don't want to lose my faith. You know, uh, my faith is just so important to me, and I don't want to get angry, and push God away." And I remember saying, "Will." you're probably going to get angry. But you can never push God so hard he goes away. And so we talked about all the things. We stayed up half the night talking. We talked about um, what it was going to mean for Catherine. We talked about, um, uh, you know, his memories of Carrie, the day, how it unfolded. And then we talked about stupid guy stuff, the shows we liked, all that kind of thing. and when i got up that morning i decided that i was going to stay by will's side and, and i mean that metaphorically there were going to be things that he had to do alone uh, and uh but but i was i was going to you know if he ever called i was just going to drop everything and be there um if uh I was gonna be the one person in his life that that wouldn't judge him. You know, everyone thinks they know what a widower should or shouldn't do, how long it should take, when they should move on, when they shouldn't. I wasn't gonna give him any of that. I was just gonna be there. I was just gonna treat him the same as I'd always treated him. Now I'm not telling the story to say, hey look what a great friend Pastor Danny is. Um, I wasn't the only person in Will's life at that time. He had a friend uh, named CJ who, uh, who had moved away several years before and came and, and spent a week with him and was constantly checking up on him. Other people in his Sunday school, school class supporting him, people at work. But I'm sharing this because I, I learned something during that time, during that year. First of all, I got to see up close how a man of faith grieves. And that has taught me so much. I've tried to hold on to when I go through my own heartbreaks. But I also learned something important about grief. See, it's become axiomatic, I think, to say that everybody grieves differently. I've never really liked that phrase, and here's why. It's true in, in one sense, right, that, 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 uh, that we shouldn't judge each other as we grieve, because everyone expresses their grief in a different way. But I don't like that phrase because it makes it sound like grief is something that people go through alone. You, you picture the lone, solitary griever, and we, we, we just sort of say, leave them alone everybody grieves differently. You know, the funeral we're good at. Everyone shows up and, and, and everyone brings the casseroles and, and, and everyone's there, but, 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 but then we just sort of back off and we say, alright, they're on their own now. Everybody grieves differently. And that's not the biblical model of grief. Mourning is not something in the Bible that people do alone. Mourning is something that a community does together. In our scripturing in this morning, we see David going through an intense time of grief. Um, there's a, a very complicated relationship he had with his father-in-law that he admired and respected and loved in a way, um, uh, but was also a a source of tension in his life, to say the least. But there was also a very uncomplicated relationship he had with his best friend, Jonathan. He lost them and a whole bunch of other people he knew. All in one day. But David doesn't grieve alone. He's got his companions there to grieve with him. When David puts ashes in his hair, his companions put ashes in their hair. When when David tears his garments, his companions with him tear their garments. We just read a, 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 a psalm of lament that David wrote. And this psalm, by the way, is one of the very oldest passages in the Bible. And there is no reason to believe that David did not write this lament. But a lament in the ancient world was meant to be sung by a community. He wrote this lament and said, teach this to everyone in my tribe so we can sing it together. David's grief wasn't confined to him. He didn't have to grieve in his own way because he had his community around him grieving and mourning with him. Many of the ancient Israelites' customs about grief are preserved in the way our Jewish brothers, sisters, our our Jewish brothers and sisters grieve today. Um, if you look at their, uh, their, their, their religious grieving practices, you see many of, uh, of the traditions from the Old Testament still alive in that community. Jewish people understand that there are three phases of grief. The first phase of grief is aningot, which is a Hebrew word that means deep sorrow, this phase of grief lasts from, uh, from receiving the news of the death of a loved one till the time when they are buried. According to Jewish tradition, if, if, if you receive uh, uh, the death of a loved one and, 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 and you're a, a direct member of the family, a brother, a sister, a husband, wife, parents, children, then you're supposed to rend your garment. This can be an outer garment. It's supposed to be an outer garment, a sweater, um, an overcoat, a vest. Um, if you don't have anything like that, you can actually tear a piece of cloth and just sort of pin it to what you're wearing. If, uh, if you're a, 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 a sibling, a spouse, Uh, or a child, um, you you tear it apart over your chest on the right side. If you're a parent grieving the loss of a child, you tear the part over your heart. Now this ancient expression uh, of rending your garment uh, uh, is an expression of anger and shock, because it's recognized that during this phase of grief not only is it okay to be angry and shocked, it's expected And there's a ritual provided to give voice to that. Then after after this phase of grief, after the burial of the loved one, is is the phase called Shiva. Shiva is a Hebrew word that means seven. This is the seven days following the burial. And during the time of Shiva, uh, uh, the, the grieving person is supposed to remain at home. Um, they're supposed to not go out for groceries. Um, they're supposed to not uh, be concerned about self-grooming. In fact, all of the mirrors in the house are supposed to be covered over with cloth. Because it's just a time to, uh, to mourn and reflect on the loved one. And during this, this, this seven weeks after, the this, this seven days after this period of Shiva, um, uh, the community is supposed to stop by and visit bring the casseroles and sit for a while. In fact, they, they might even make a, uh, make a schedule. <laughs> uh, uh, Mary's coming by Tuesday, uh, Miss Henrietta's coming by Thursday, right? But then they just sit with the person who's grieving. Maybe they talk about their memories, maybe they talk about the future, maybe they just sit in silence so the person doesn't have to be alone. They take care of all of their needs during this week. And then the, uh, at the end of the, uh, the, the seven days, there's a prayer service, and the people from the community come to the home and they have a prayer service together, marking that Shiva has ended. And after Shiva, there's, uh, there's Shaloshim, which is a, uh, a, a, a period of 30 days, and this is sort of the grace period, right? Getting back, to, getting back to my job, getting back to the grocery store, getting back to visiting. But we also recognize that this person's going to need help, and that maybe I've got to drive them to the grocery store. Uh, maybe we should all be patient with them at work, you know, that kind of thing. And after Shaloshim's over, until the one-year anniversary of the death, the person is still considered to be grieving. Then on the one-year anniversary of the death, the community comes together in the home once more. They light a candle, and the period of mourning is over. Then every year on that anniversary, they light a candle again. See, I think in modern times, we've lost touch with the ancient art of grieving together. I think uh, because of our sort of American, our sort of individualistic attitude, we look at grieving and mourning as a personal journey that people need to go on alone. And the rest of us just need to be patient until they snap out of it. We don't think of grieving as something we do together. We're really good at the first part, we're really good at the funerals, but then after the body is buried, we kind of expect the person to figure it out from there. What if the church? What if we Christians sort of reclaim this idea of shiva, of mourning together? What if that week after uh, 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 you know someone died, um, that's when? the casserole started coming. That's when the visits started coming. What if for that month after, for the 30 days after, we are still calling and checking up and still saying, hey, are you all right? Do you you need help with anything? What if we helped them mark the one year anniversary so they didn't have to be alone on that day? It's true, I think, that everybody grieves differently, but nobody should have to grieve alone. And the good news is that when we grieve together, we receive comfort. See, there's this uh, passage in the Beatitudes, this little verse that said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I've always been confused by this verse. And here's why. When you look at the Beatitudes, all the Beatitudes seem to be extolling a, a, a Christian virtue and then promising a divine blessing, right? And so, uh, blessed are, are the peacemakers, for they shall be your children of God, right? Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, right? These are all Christian virtues. But what a mourning, isn't that something that everybody does? Doesn't everybody grieve at one point or another in their life? Where's the virtue there? But see, the confusion comes because we look at that verse with, uh, with, with, with 21st century individualistic sort of eyes. But that's not how Jesus and His disciples would have seen the process of mourning. They would have seen mourning as something that the community does together. And when we all participate in mourning, there is a blessing in that, because we're comforted. That's just true on the human level, right? It stands to reason that, 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 that if you're part of a church that grieves together, that mourns together, then, then, then when your turn comes around you're going to receive the comfort that you need, right? Blessed are those who mourn together, for they will be comforted. I know that if I went through a similar circumstance and I had to call uh, Will up, he would drop everything he'd come drive down here and be with me. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But we're not just talking about human comfort here. There's a divine comfort that we receive when we mourn together. See, God and Jesus Christ entered into grieving humanity with us. The same Jesus who who when he received the news of Lazarus' death, wept with Mary, weeps with us as well when we receive the news of a loved one's death. The same Jesus who, 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 who sang songs of lament from the cross. Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? sings our songs of lament with us when we go through the grieving process. The same Jesus, that though He was resurrected, still bore the scars of the cross, understands that even on the other side of grief, we're changed, we're different people, we still bear the scars. We do not grieve alone because we have each other, but we also have the one that Isaiah called the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We have a comforter in Jesus Christ. And when we experience grief together, when we mourn together, then we get to experience together the joy that comes after. Because Scripture does promise us that though grief lasts through the night, that joy does cometh in the morning. That our mourning will be turned into dancing. Because I was at Will's side when he went through grief, a time came when I got to be at his side again. Uh, This is a picture of us uh, a couple of hours before his wedding to a wonderful woman named Stephanie. God sent him a wife, sent Catherine a mother, about a year later gave them a son. I asked Will's permission to tell this story this morning. Whenever um, it's an intensely personal story, and it's not really my story, it's someone else's story, I I ask for permission. And uh, Will graciously gave his permission, and he gave some of his own thoughts. And uh, I think he meant for me to just sort of incorporate them into the sermon, but what he wrote, he he said better than I could have said it, so so I'm just going to read the thoughts that he gave me. Now, towards the end, uh, he mentions a, a quote by Stephen Colbert. Most of us know Stephen Colbert as like a late-night comedian, but he's also a devout Catholic, um, a Sunday school teacher, actually. And um, he, uh, uh, when he was ten years old, his father and two of his brothers died in a plane crash, and he credits his faith um, with. Uh, with gigging him through that time. And, um, and so that, that's why he quotes Stephen Colbert towards the end of the letter. Hey Danny, here are the biggest impressions on me from losing Carrie and Carrie the grief. One, immediately after Carrie passed, I had you by my side and another friend, CJ. CJ was an old friend of mine who had moved away a few years before. After Carrie had passed, he came and moved in with me for a week. The best part about it was that he didn't try to baby me or rush in and be my Superman. He was just there. Of course, CJ had to go back to his home and job, and he knew that you were around and that I'd be okay. Two, and this one is a big one. Both of you treated me normally, for lack of a better word. What really annoyed me was how people looked at me and acted differently around me. I don't know if they thought I was too fragile or what, but my identity seemed to have changed. I was no longer Will, I was Will the widower. You and CJ still hung out, talked, laughed, and carried on with me like I was still Will. You'll never know how much that meant. Three, I'm including a clip from an Anderson Cooper interview with Stephen Colbert. In the clip, Colbert says, I have learned to love the thing which I most wish had not happened. I've learned to love the thing which I most wish had not happened. I've turned these words over and around in my head numerous times, almost like I'm trying to see if it's true and does it hold up. My answer is always yes. Now, of course, I didn't get to this place quickly, It took a long while, but I am here now, and those words are actually very comforting. I am thankful for Catherine coming out of my love and relationship with Carrie. I am thankful for my love with Stephanie and for Sam. I wish it didn't have to all happen the way that it did, but I am thankful for having what I have now. As you know, grief is by no means a straight line. There were advances and setbacks. Grief can still come out of nowhere, but as I look back on all of it, what made the process of grief easier were points one and two. You and CJ physically being there for me and also being there for me in a way where you saw me fully, not just a part of me as a grieving widower. I hope this helps. Grace and peace will. I've learned to love the thing I most wish had not happened. I think maybe that's another way of saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I know this is a bummer to talk about going Sunday morning. Um, I promise next week we're going to leave the grief behind. David's going to be dancing, so we're going to talk all about that. Because sorrow is just a chapter. It's just a chapter in each of our story. Now, I don't like talking about death. I don't like talking about the last word being written on my life and the book being closed. It fills me with dread, to be honest. But I know, I know when that last word is written and the book is closed that I will be in the arms of Jesus. And I hope and pray that my loved ones will have other arms around them. That they will not have to walk through their grief alone. That's all I want for them. That, and whoever sets the canoe on fire gets my stuff. (laughs) In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.